Oh man, let's take our seats and if you want to follow uh, in the Word of God, we're going to begin with Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 to 7, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 7, uh, the title of the sermon, and let me just say all good sermons have titles, all good sermons have titles, and the title here is The Three R's of biblical evangelism the three r's of biblical evangelism i'm going to read ephesians 2 in a moment from 1 to 7 and um, i learned this from the puritans years ago that they they said a scheme to understand the gospel are these three r's and we're going to learn what those three r's are and i wonder if you can be thinking i wonder if i know what the r's are and uh, let's see if you're right with your r's or not um, it's important that preachers rely on the Holy Spirit in preaching. Am I prepared? Absolutely. If you took the notes off me and said you can't use these notes, I could still preach. But it's important that a preacher's prepared in prayer and in the Word. A preacher that fails to put time in in preparation, that man is as good as finished before God. Because we don't rely upon natural gifting. We reply, rely upon much study in the word of God to bring the best food to the people of God. Would you agree? You know, you know if you're, especially those who are more newly married, you know if your wife has really put a lot of effort in with that meal, don't you? If it's, um, you know, if there's really love there, and we could also say for the husband if he's cooking as well, so... It works both ways. You can tell if there's love there in the meal, can't you? And it's the same with the Word of God. You know, so let's hear Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And you who were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I wonder in heaven, in the presence of Christ, 
if those verses were read out, how we would respond. Would we respond in silence and just sit there and think that's, that's very interesting? It's interesting, isn't it, that in heaven we'll be fully liberated and there'll be a joy welling up. I mean, what good news this is. You once were dead. You once lived like that. You once were this, but now, but God, he's rescued us. This room is full of but gods. Amen? Look at the person behind you. There's a but God behind you. Not literally, not behind the wall, but you know what I mean? But, there's a, but it's the but God, the interventions of God. The gospel is supernatural. And if you've been supernaturally changed by the power of the Holy Spirit to convince you of the eternality of Jesus Christ and being brought to bow before God the Father, you will keep running the race. Who gets to heaven? Who goes to heaven? Jesus tells us. But those who endure to the end, they will be saved. Over the years, I've seen many people fall to one side. People become members. And then you wonder sometimes, 15 years later, where are they? The people who go to heaven is the people who keep on running, in season, out of season. I got back very late last night. We had a very challenging presbytery meeting all day. I was up early in the morning, got back late at night. I come here from the hospital. And I said to Maria, I remember one of the elders said to me years ago at our presbytery, Kevin, you've got to preach the word in season and out of season. You know, but what I heard was, you need to preach the word in season and in season. You know, you put us out, who cares about the outer season? And I felt this morning, I said, Maria, could we pray together? I feel, I've got to preach outer season. I feel, I feel heavy from the things we were dealing with yesterday as a presbytery. I have had little time to really go over and over. I've gone over and over during the week. So... We have to preach in season and out of season. We have to live our lives in season and out of season. We have to live our lives out of season when it's convenient for you and when it's not convenient for you. We keep gathering. We keep worshipping God. We keep reading the Bible, praying, encouraging one another. And so we're going to get to the first R this morning, which I'm sure you've already come up with. The first R from the Word of God and I've not come up with this, the Puritans used to teach this, is the word ruin. What is it? It's the word ruin. Now, one of my family members recently contacted me and said, do you know any websites that um, you can point me to to know how to evangelize people? Well, I said, well, it's not really websites we need. It's the word of God and prayer. I'm not sure I gave them the answer they really wanted. But it's true. And what we're going to have this morning, we're going to have a little scheme that we can use to actually explain the gospel to people. The first one is ruin. What do we find in chapter 2? And you, verse 1. And the first R is ruin. And you who were dead. Boy, dead? You can't get any worse than that, can you? Have you been to a funeral recently of a close family member? Have you seen a dead body recently? Most people have... Some people in Britain today, they've never even seen a dead body. That wasn't true in the 19th century. But today, it can be more common. But if you see a dead body, what you see is 
the person you knew, they're not there anymore. The eyes just stare up, but they're not there. And you who were dead, Paul writes, dead in the trespasses and sins. So we need to revisit for us the impact of the fall of Adam upon all mankind. Because we're constantly bombarded with a message of the BBC. And what does the BBC present? And you are a good little boy. And you're a good little girl. And you wouldn't do anything wrong, would you? You wouldn't, you wouldn't go and steal and murder someone, would you? Well, that's a shock because how can a good person do something like that? It, well, it, if they're good, then it must be a social problem. It must be because they're brought up in Sheffield that there's a problem. If they lived in Surrey, this would never have happened. And that's the kind of message in the BBC. But the Word of God says that mankind are ruined. British people are ruined by sin. Well, okay, oh boy, we've got universities all over the place. We don't care about that. Whether you can, you can be an educated enemy of God. The fact is, we are all ruined and we are dead in our trespasses and sins. If you want to know whether this is true, after the service and you drive home, why don't you knock on two or three doors near your house and say, can I just discuss with you what I've just heard at church? And you'll find by their response whether this is true or not. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. But listen, is a little bit of a glimmer of good news before we've even come to the gospel. It says, Paul writes to the church in which you once walked. Isn't that great? If you look at your life this morning, are you walking differently now to what you walked before you were saved and had faith in Jesus? If the answer is no, I, I still go to those same nightclubs. And, oh, I, and I love my nightclubs on Saturday night. I'm, I'm shattered when I come to church. But you, you've got to say, well, ha, has your walk changed? Because the gospel will change things. You will lose friendships when you come to Christ. You think, well, how can that happen? I'm, I'm a good person. I, I, I'm a nice person. Yes, you are. But once the light of the gospel comes into you, and you are changed, you're no longer dead, people won't like you. But it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So your walk changes. So man is ruined, and it says, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So people who are dead in their sins, who were ruined by sin, they are disobedient. They hate obedience. They hate submission to one another. Don't tell me what to do. I'll do it my way. There's, there's a rebel inside. Now, British culture can mask the sinfulness of man. You know, it can be really nice and whatever else, but... But you push it a little bit, and that sinful nature will come out. Disobedience, but disobedience to Almighty God. How is your relationship to the Bible this morning? Do you read the Bible simply for encouragement, 
Or do you also read it to know what God calls you to do so that you can submit yourself to the Lord in obedience? Because that's what the gospel does. So we mustn't just read the Bible for daily encouragements, but to also know what we should uh, be obeying what God is requiring of us and confessing those sins when we're not obeying what God is requiring of us. So man is ruined and it goes on. Paul just lays it on. He's thinking, well, maybe people are not really listening or they don't really understand the effect of sin. He says in verse 3, among whom we all once walked, lived. Isn't that great? So again, if you're converted, you once walked and you once lived, but he explains the ruin of sin in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Can it get any worse to be dead? to be carried after the winds of this world, to be a child of wrath. Are you thankful this morning, if you profess faith in Christ, that one of the things that you're delivered from, totally by the grace of God, is the eternal anger of God against your sin? Not simply somebody else's. Because if you're not saved, you will face an eternity of weeping and torment and punishment for your own sinfulness. And there'll be no getting off the hook on that day of judgment. Everything will be brought into the light. And the only way of escape on that day is to have faith in Jesus Christ. So once we begin, and I've only just begun, I could preach the rest of the sermon more on this first R, which is ruin. Um, but we need to move on. But I don't want us to have a light view of sin and the ruin of mankind, because if we have a shallow view, we won't really understand the gospel. So we're all ruined. That's our first R for us. Have we got our second R? The second R is redemption. Redemption. If man is ruined, there has to be a redemption to purchase this dead wreck of a person uh, out from that and make a way of escape. And it's the redemption of God. What a wonderful picture we have all the way through the Bible of redemption. Do we notice in verse 4, what do we get? But God, being rich in mercy because of the love with he, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You're not going to be saved out of that deadness by your law-keeping, by you keeping the Ten Commandments. It won't save you in any way, shape, or form. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. God has provided this magnificent redemption. Now, but these pictures of redemption are found in the Old Testament. 
What is the great picture of redemption in the Bible apart from the cross and resurrection? It's the redemption of Israel out of Egypt. Can you imagine that? God gathered a people for himself. It only began with one man. His, his name was Abraham. And one day the Lord took him out and he was really struggling to really believe all that God was promising. He, and the Lord said, look towards the stars. And he saw millions of stars. And God had said, you're going to have a son. And the son hadn't been seen. And the Lord said, so shall your seed be. Boy, if I could just have one son, that would be enough. Never mind about all these stars. And so 400 years later, God multiplied that covenant seed in Egypt and brought forth a whole nation. But there was a problem. The Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. So God raised up a man. He didn't have a committee. He raised up one man and his name was Moses. God met with Moses in the burning bush. What are we doing this morning? We are worshipping together the God of the burning bush. Isn't that great? We've come together. We don't need a burning bush because we can read about the burning bush in the Bible. And we are here to worship the God of the burning bush. And God called Moses and said, I've got a job for you, Moses. What is it, Lord? Go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. What would you think? Great. I'm going to go and see Pharaoh, and I'm going to say, let my people go. And Pharaoh is going to say, of course. Off you go. So he went to Pharaoh, and he said, let my people go. And God kept on hardening Pharaoh's heart, and Pharaoh kept hardening his heart. And listen to this. The trial got worse and worse and worse. How about you this morning? Does it seem that your trials get worse and worse and worse? Sometimes God ordains that the trials get worse before the breakthrough comes. So that when the breakthrough comes, only God can get the glory. And so God led out all these people. People think maybe a million and a half people. That's a lot of people. That would be a full chapel, wouldn't it? A million and a half squeezed in here. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Impossible. A million and a half. And God led them to the edge of the Red Sea. And they're, they're thinking, you know, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. And um, except they got to the Red Sea. And then there's a new impossible situation. And then they look over their shoulders. And Pharaoh and his army are chasing after them. And God put a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And they're thinking, what on earth is going to happen? It got even worse. And God spoke to Moses, lift up the rod. And as Moses lifted up the rod, the waters parted. What are we doing this morning? We're worshipping the God of Moses. We're worshipping the God of Israel, who has never, ever changed. And God redeemed the people as they had given this Passover lamb uh, and put the blood around their houses and the angel of death wouldn't visit them and so the firstborn were all saved and they were redeemed and then delivered into uh, the wilderness and it says they crossed over on dry land 
But then when the Egyptians chased after them into the Red Sea, the Lord took the wheels off the chariots and the waters came back and all of Pharaoh's army were drowned in the sea. It was a miracle. What does it teach us? Redemption is supernatural. I have a supernatural book in front of me. I remember, you know, I've done, I, I could tell you many stories I've done over the years. I used to live in London. I was actively involved in all kinds of evangelism. And, and I just praise God for the opportunity as a single man, especially. I had a lot of time on my hands. And in between working, I, I would do all, I used to be on the tubes in London. I'd be telling people about Jesus. And, uh, but on one occasion, I wasn't on a tube. I was involved with a team doing evangelism. And I thought, I'd, I'd read about this. And so I, I got my Bible and I put it on, and I wore a hat and I put the Bible under my hat. And I started shouting out, it's alive, it's alive. And looking at this hat and a crowd gathered, wanted to know what's, what's under the hat. So I kept on crying, it's alive, it's alive. And I'm going to tell you in a moment what's under the hat. And they, this crowd gathered around and then I revealed, I took the hat off the Bible and I lifted up the word of God and I said, the Bible is alive and Jesus is alive and the redemption message of the gospel we're hearing, this is not some lecture I'm giving, I'm preaching truth. If you hear this truth today and you've never come to Christ before, you can be set free of your sins this morning. Your scales can be taken off your eyes. You can say, I believe. So redemption. And that redemption climaxes in the death of Jesus on the cross. Because we see in chapter 2, it says, But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. And this redemption is there, purchased for us by God. We did nothing about that, did we? You were not even born when Jesus died on the cross. Same for Israel. They can't say, we delivered ourselves. We put our armbands on and we swam across the, the, the Red Sea. No, no, no. No, God delivers us. Our third and last setting, I'm sure you've got it already. The first R is ruin. The second R is redemption. But the third and last heading is regeneration. Regeneration. And here it's called by Paul that God made us alive together with Christ. In verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So this dead body is now, through the gospel and the redemption that's been provided, this ruined dead body is now resurrected like the valley of dry bones and is raised up and made alive in Christ. Many people who get converted, they often say this. They say, when I got converted, I never noticed birds and creation. And they say, 
The grass is greener now than it ever used to be. The birds I didn't hear singing, I can, they, they become alive to all that God has done. They're made alive in Christ. And it goes on. Look at this regeneration. He says, we're raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. These are all past tenses, by the way. You may not even be aware all that God's done. But when you get made alive, God then not only raises you up, it gives you a chair to sit on, as it were. You're seated with him in heavenly places. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What's that saying? In eternity, God is going to boast about you. Can you imagine that? Now, we saw the funeral on Monday, or I did anyway, and I'm sure many of you did. And Westminster Abbey was filled with about 2,000 people. And I don't think any of us were there, were we? We don't think we were invited. And though God may have used this broadcast around the world, I couldn't stop thinking about this verse in 1 Corinthians about the kinds of people whom God saves. Not many mighty, not many noble. Why? God doesn't go to the cream of society normally. The queen is, can be very thankful if she was saved that she got saved. But God's going to boast about us and say, look at that man over there. He was, a, he was an idolater. I saved him. And you will be the display of the glory of God, of the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us. Aren't there some wonderful words here? Isn't anybody interested in English literature? You know, words like love, all describing God's work, mercy, kindness. That's what we should be like with one another. Kind, loving, merciful. Are you a kind person? If you're not, remember this, God is. And if you've come to Christ, that's an example of the Lord's kindness. And it's not just as a sermon in this service. One day, for those who are saved, we're going to taste and see the kindness of God for all eternity. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, and we, we look to the throne of God and and we see the, the resurrected lamb. You're looking forward to that. I think it's important that we have a reminder of that. That the focus of heaven is not a reunion with lost ones whom you've loved. Who've gone ahead to heaven. You know, it's not a reunion first and foremost. It's a reunion with our heavenly husband, Jesus Christ. We're going to be focused on Christ in heaven. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as a sun, we'll never weary of looking to Christ and then bursting in praise and singing of the redemption 
of the Lamb of God, which we read about that the church sings in Revelation. Thou art worthy, O Lamb of God. As we close this morning with this third and last heading, regeneration, we need to be reminded that the third heading is not an optional extra because we're reminded here that without the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, this redemption would be worthless. Now you're thinking, that's a bit of a strong statement. Well, B.B. Warfield said the same thing. Let me just find this quote from him. He says this, B.B. Warfield says this, that redemption is supernatural and the application of that redemption is absolutely supernatural. And Warfield chided his liberal opponents in his own day. And he wrote about the Valley of Dry Bones that we've heard read this morning. And listen to what B.B. Warfield said, an outstanding theologian. He said, what benefit is there in proclaiming even the greatest of redemptions? How shall we stand and cry, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. In vain the redemption, in vain its proclamation, unless there come a breath from heaven to breathe upon these slain that they may live. The redemption of Christ is therefore no more central to the Christian hope than the creative operations of the Holy Spirit upon the heart. And I think there's a danger for us in the church. But because of excesses regarding claims regarding the Holy Spirit and charismatic excesses in the last 50 years, the orthodox sections of the church have become afraid to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's a totally unbiblical position. We wouldn't be here this morning if it wasn't for the person of the Holy Spirit that's drawn us to worship God, that drew us initially to come to Christ and supernaturally gave us new hearts and gave us the gift of eternal life. One final thing I'll say of this supernatural operation of the Holy Spirit called regeneration or the new birth to be born again is that on the day of Pentecost, How many got converted? The Bible tells us it was around 3,000. Often when we read that, we go, wow, 3,000. John Calvin writes this in his commentary on the book of Acts. Why should we be so surprised that God would and could save 3,000 people? He delivered maybe a million and a half in the redemption at the Red Sea. Is it possible for God to sweep powerfully through this nation and begin to save people all over the place? Or as unbelief come in, and you think, oh no, these are days of judgment now. They're not days of judgment until Jesus returns. These are the most exciting days to be alive in. These are days to be excited about Because until Jesus returns, 
The door of salvation is open and whosoever comes can be saved. So these are not days of doom and gloom. Oh, oh, Boris Johnson. Forget about Boris Johnson. Let's think about the redemption of Jesus Christ. Oh, but evolution. Forget about evolution. The Holy Spirit can blow through and crumble all of evolution tomorrow if he wants to. I've been to the Berlin Wall and seen the collapse of human philosophies. But this gospel shall be preached in every nation until the end comes. So let's be on our guard against the perilous sin of unbelief. I have to say, though, even our unbelief cannot stop the powerful work of the Holy Spirit if he decides to move. And don't we want him to move? Sweeping powerfully. Not people simply saying prayers but people being changed by the power of the gospel and being turned from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. Is that what excites you? It excites me that we have a baptism next week of someone who's been brought to a saving knowledge of Christ and they can articulate it to elders. They don't need the parents to prop them up and say, say this, sonny boy. (laughs) Tell them this. Um, Oh, I've got to stop. The three R's, what are they? The first R is? The second R is? And the third R is? Wonderful. What a great class you are. It's because we have a great teacher and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? It's good to see you here. Amen. You know, we had a man called Palmer Robertson preach a few years ago, and he spent most of his life in Africa. You know, typical in Presbyterian church, so, so, so quiet. You're not allowed to be excited. Don't show too much emotion. People may think you're a fanatic. And Palmer Robertson said, Can I hear this deep voice? Can I hear an amen from my amen corner? So he apportioned people sat here. They had to say amen at certain points in the sermon. And some of them felt a little bit uncomfortable. But it's not a sin to be excited about the gospel. Why? Because of ruin, redemption, and regeneration. And it's all about the kindness of Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. We're going to finish off singing Crown Him with Many Crowns in a moment. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we're going to be praying the Lord's Prayer in a moment and reminding us of this great forgiveness of sins and help us to be kind and that we could forgive other people. Whoever's harmed us, help us to be quick to forgive, to be full of the love of Christ. And Father, we thank you for this great gospel that we've heard about this morning.